0: Hello and welcome to Screaming on the Inside, episode 9. I am your host, Celeste. Thank you so much for joining us as ever. This episode I am speaking with lead therapist, Tracy Bainon. She works at our Sanctuary Lodge Centre and has taken some time out of her very busy schedule to speak with me about some really interesting topics. It's a little bit different. Um, I really hope you enjoy listening to Tracy's uh, insights. She is so knowledgeable uh, and, and very well loved in the UCAT team. And I really do think that uh, you'll come away with a, a bit of knowledge about neurodiversity. We're also talking about um, roles that we play, um, all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, I won't go into it here, but we will be sending out some additional resources um, to you if you're signed up to our newsletter. Um, So keep an eye out for that and uh, let me know what you think. Hi, Tracy, It's really nice to have you here with us this week. I wonder if you'd like to be able to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are.
1: Yeah, it's really nice to... um, be doing this. Um, I'm Tracy Bainan um, and I'm the Lead Therapist um, at Sanctuary Lodge, um, one of the UK addiction treatment centres. I have been working in um, addiction treatment for um, about 10 years. I started off um, in um, community um, treatment Um, helping out in um, the methadone clinic um, in the local area and doing some voluntary counselling to get my hours to qualify as a therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I was taken on as a key worker there and then moved on to working in a rehab that was actually a day rehab um, where clients had treatment for nine weeks and came in every day. Um, And then found myself yearning for the opportunity to work in residential (laughs) rehab um, and applied for Sanctuary Lodge. And and here I am. That's that's fantastic. What a
0: journey. You've really worked your way up through the through the ropes you know um I mean did you always know that you had a had a passion for this line of work or was it something that you kind of you know some of us find ourselves falling into things and then actually find that wow this is you know this is a, a journey for me what was that like for you
1: definitely I had quite a lot of troubles um with my mental health um particularly noticeable in my late 20s and early 30s because I think that all comes to that seems to be when it comes to a head for a lot of people yes yeah. and um, I couldn't really afford top rate weekly counselling um, single mum just trying to struggle through and um, spending all their money on substances to cope and um, I thought once I'd got myself straight and wasn't using substances anymore, I really needed to focus on my own mental health. So, what best way to do it is do a counselling course and learn by yeah. myself. Of course, we can
0: learn our way out of it, right? Exactly,
1: <laughs> um, and that's why I did so well in all the assignments. <laughs> I I'm um, focused on myself as usual. Yeah, um, and, <laughs> and um, that's and my first placement was. Um, in Open Road, the um, Local Drug and Alcohol Treatment Centre, and that was just complete fluke. Um, That's where I was sent, and that's what I did, and it literally, within a day of being in there, I just thought, I've got, I've got the bug. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it is such a wonderful um, sort of a line of work, isn't it? And I, yes. I, I really, what what I love about it is um, so many people who work in in this field have their own experiences, um, and you know really come from that themselves. So there's this real for me, I mean, I've not been doing this for long. I actually come, my background is actually dentistry. (laughs) I was in dentistry for 20 years. And I also always had because always um, been around addiction. I wasn't aware of my own addiction for a long time. But Mm -hmm. I uh, always wanted to work in this field. And, um, you know, it's taken me a lot longer to be you know fortunate enough to find myself in this position but there's so many of us who work in this field and it's so accessible to people isn't it that you know that that do come from a difficult background or do come from addiction themselves you know I've been welcomed you know I was welcomed in my early recovery you know and given an opportunity and I I think that's really a lot of compassion in this field of work isn't it a lot
1: of compassion and I'm not sure anywhere else any
0: other line of work would take you seriously no exactly <laughs> that and i can tell you now not knocking dentistry but uh, it's not the same you know no. it's is the people are wonderful and um you know as i've said to you before tracy not to embarrass you but um you know everyone that i speak to that goes through you know comes out of sanctuary lodge I speak so highly of you as a therapist um and i think yeah. it's important that you know you know that and um, yeah. that, that you know that people that have worked with you always are, are so so happy with with the with the treatment and you know they go on mostly to have you know wonderful you know successful recoveries and that, that must feel good right that's really why you do does. it yeah that's all
1: that matters at the end of the
0: day. <laughs> this is it yeah and I wonder actually while while we're on that that topic of of early recovery um mm. we were I know we were talking before about you know the common things that I find working in alumni clients when they first come out of treatment, you know those those initial struggles that they have, those those things that can sort of make them stumble sometimes when they've yeah. come out of treatment. They're out of that safety net, you know. They're out in the big, you know, bad world, and yeah. you know, suddenly recovery is it's a different thing, isn't it? When you yeah. when you're out of treatment, yeah. um, and I um, I know that one of the things that certainly I think we both agree on is is sort of the family's role right. within yeah. addiction yeah. And, and certainly the recovery um, from from addiction um, what's your sort of take on that. Um, on on sort of going back into perhaps a dysfunctional family situation after coming out of treatment, how can how can our ex clients perhaps you know manage that.
1: Or I think it's it's so tough because I think when some before someone goes into treatment, they've often played a certain role in the family or within their um, relationship, whether it be marriage or um, friendships, mother daughter, whatever whatever kind of relationship is, they they play a role, and often it can be. Um, the role in, of of sort of quite ha- of helplessness yeah um, and people get you those around um, someone can get used to looking after them and being cross with them yeah. um, and um, taking them to appointments checking have you made this call how much have you had to drink where have you been and they get they get, as much as they're miserable in that role and terrified often, they're, they're comfortable in it. Yes. And then um, someone comes into treatment and you know we empower them um, and they're actually seen um, for more than being an addict or an alcoholic. Um, and they're offered sort of unconditional acceptance um, and um, it's a bubble. And then these people go, really, these people do so, so well in learning their interpersonal effectiveness, how they communicate assertively, um, healthy boundaries, um, respecting other people's boundaries. And then they go home and they go back to exactly the same environment that they left. Um, And I know loved ones do their absolute best. You know, they'll make it a dry house. They'll get rid of all the wine glasses in the house. Um, and go to al and all that but they together they haven't done that deep rooted work on how they function together yeah um, we obviously will offer a conjoint where um, the family and um, the client can have a chat and talk about how they're going to move forward and get things off their chest but that's just that's just scratching the surface yeah. um, and then people go home and the poor loved ones, they, they they don't know what's hit them often. They don't know how to be. Yeah. Um, they, they, they don't trust them yet, which is fair enough. Um, they don't know everything that the client's been through. They haven't experienced what the client's been through, so they have not had that healing like the client's had. There's still anger and resentment. Um, and I think most of us, addicts or not, we're not taught, how to have healthy relationships in school like we ought to be. Oh no. Um, and it's, it can be all over the place. Mm. Um, and I know I sent you some information about Stephen Cartman's dra- drama triangle. Yes. Um, that, he, he didn't come up with the drama triangle um, for addicts specifically, but I think it really highlights mm. um, the roles that so easily people fall into when they're in um these dysfunctional relationships
0: yeah I, this is fantastic i'm um, just just so everyone knows them that this this information that tracy sent across to me kindly will be available to everyone um in the in the show notes for the podcast and um i i probably break it down into sort of a blog type um thing that you know everyone can have access to because i mean when you break it down it's 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 more obvious than it, than it, you know, than people think, isn't it really? And, and, you know, when I speak to people who have come out of treatment, you know, I, I do often find that, you know, they've gone in one person and come out a completely different one. And like you say, that transition, you know, are. our, our lovely alumni have been guided through that process, like you say, so, you know, that they've been on that journey yet, you know, to, to the family members, it's like, like you say, it's, it's completely overwhelming and, mm-hmm. and difficult. And um, I think that, um, but correct me if I'm wrong, but there, there can also be this situation where, and I know I had this in my own experience with my dad, I almost wanted, it was almost easier for me when he was sick yeah. than when he was well. because when he was sick I I, like you say I was scared and it wasn't pleasant but I I almost had a control over it I felt like I was being useful in a crisis it was crisis crisis to crisis to crisis but if there was a time where suddenly you're out of the crisis and he seemed to be doing well it's like I was always waiting for the other foot to drop yeah, you know, and, yeah. and that was more traumatizing yeah. than actually being in the crisis. because yeah. you know, um, again, no expert here, but you know, you, you, you're you're given tools in crisis to be able to cope in the moment. Those stress responses, when all yeah. of that stops and you're left, and you're like, whoa, yeah, you know yeah. that, you know that. I mean, yeah. what I went through with my dad is is minuscule compared to what families must go through when they've had you know years and years of of, of you know uh, addiction in their family and then you know their loved one comes back and they're well you're yeah. well now what yeah. do you do yeah you
1: know yeah. and also I, I think looking after an addict can end up being a full-time job mm. uh, and then some because oh, yeah. even if you're not physically caring for someone the emotional and mental space it takes up yeah is um, every waking minute which can be a lot of waking minutes when you're not sleeping because you're worrying. Oh, yeah. And then when that person's better, it I think I think loved ones can almost lose their identity because they're not the carer anymore. They, they don't know who they're meant to be anymore. It's yeah. like, where, where am I in this? Yes,
0: ab- absolutely. It's it's a lot, isn't it? It, it really is. is. So it's a much. lot. Um and I think you know, I, I certainly try and um encourage Uh, you know people who I speak to who are in these situations to it's about for me it's about boundaries it's about conversations it's about it's about communication um, and you know uh, people who have been in treatment and and who are in recovery understanding that things aren't going to go back to normal necessarily straight away or as quickly as they might like Mm -hmm. Um, you know it does take time and it takes action um, yeah. For that trust to be, it really does you know, earned back, and and again, it's it's with compassion. You know, nobody yeah. asks to be in addiction. You know, at least you know I myself am in recovery. I fully understand what it's like to have to gain the trust of people who have lost faith in you. Mm. You know, and it's not your fault that you're. You know that you you've you found yourself in addiction, but the consequences are such that. Yeah unfortunately these these dynamics become yeah. affected I mean what what about the the family support then is is that would you mind telling me a little bit about what that might look like for the family in case we've got anyone who um would like their family to engage with any yeah. the family support what what would that look like
1: so that's from I know from Century Lodge it's mm. um it's every other Sunday by mm. Zoom for an hour okay um and um um I always reassure the family that it's not actually anyone that works in San- Sanctuary Lodge that facilitates the group. Because I think families often worry that we're going to tell the loved ones or, or speak about their loved ones. Yeah. So it's, okay. it's it's an outside facilitator who's never met us and never met the clients. Oh, interesting. Um, and they really... they re- it, usually, What usually happens is that the um, people attending the session will share what's going on for them and then others will identify and they will suddenly realise that they're not alone. They're not the only one going through this. Yes. And I think they quite often are able to support each other in hammering home the message of how important tough love and boundaries are. Um, Because I think, especially parents of addicts, there's so much guilt that comes with any kind of parenting um you always think you're the worst parent and regret the fact you swore in right. 1999 but <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um um i think a lot of guilt that they're not good enough holds parents back from saying no this is how it's going to be from now on yeah um and being told that that's enabling behavior and actually how about you look after you let your loved one look after them and meet somewhere in the middle, is so alien and so scary at right. the thought of putting that in place. Because yeah. let's face it, families, the core of it all is families are scared that their loved one's going to die. Yeah,
0: that's what it comes down to.
1: Yeah. It is, and when you, absolutely. It is. Yeah, And when you tell a loved one, back off, let them figure it out, let them do their recovery, and if they don't adhere to your firm boundaries, then you have to let them step back with love. Yeah and let them find their way. Families are like, well, what happens if they die in the process? And that's a really hard question to answer. And that's why we can never tell a family member what their boundaries need to be. No, that's right. I mean, my daughter um, has had to have a stint in rehab, unfortunately, Mm. Um, and um, she was causing a terrible, um, terrible time at home, quite abusive behavior linked to her addiction police involvement and things like that and it was it was breaking me like you know my mental health was really suffering and I had to just be really brave one day and say if any of this happens in my house again I will be removing you from our family home Wow. yeah um, hard I thought it was going to be the hardest thing I'd ever have to do um, it wasn't what I realized once I removed her from the family home was what I was living with was harder. Yes. Um, and I've had sleepless nights worrying because she was street homeless for a little while. Mm. Um, and, you know, she got worse before she got better. Yeah. But she tells me now that she genuinely feels that saved her life. Wow. I'm not saying that that's gonna happen for everyone. And I would never push that on anyone. Um, because I know there's many situations where things don't turn out all rosy and great that's it but that's just my version of when I had to put myself first and mm. and what that meant to my suffering daughter
0: yeah thank you so much for sharing that it's it's, um, it's really brave to share you know share things so personal and um mm. if I may um i very similar experience to myself and we, we can, like you say, we can only ever talk about our own experiences, you know, yeah. you know, your experience, my experience, you know, it's, it may not be the same as others, but I think it's important that we share them. Yeah. Um, you know, I, my, my father um, w- was an addict. Um, he was an alcoholic. And I also uh, realized when things got really difficult, when, when his, when his behaviors and his, his emotional manipulation was really starting to impact my well-being and my life to the point where I was losing relationships jobs you know my mental health was really suffering so forth I took the decision um tough love to say well actually I I can't be here for this anymore yeah um so you know if you want help dad I'm there for you if you can't accept your drinking as a problem then I'm I'm afraid I'm done and I followed through
1: I followed
0: through um nine months didn't speak to him didn't field his calls I had to keep complete distance and work on my own recovery mental health recovery at that time not addiction recovery um and you know we we did lose him you know and and I knew that there was a possibility that was always going to happen yeah you know and and getting that call uh, uh, and almost if well you know I won't go too much into that that particular moment but I still kind of have moments where I think did I do enough but actually mm. I know I know that I did everything I could and I, mm. and I would say to anyone out there you know because uh, I know a lot of people in recovery from addiction would have had this experience themselves with other family yeah. members it's a family yeah. disease you know we don't yeah. become addicts in a vacuum no. you know and I and I, I completely no. completely side with you on on the fact that it's tough love I've received tough love. Yeah. You know, I got well because my mum turned round to me and you know she's not one really to for confrontation. And she turned around to me one day and said, I don't even like you anymore. Like yeah. who are you? This isn't, yeah. you know, and and I needed that. Definitely. You know, tough love and and you know I, I'm I'm not a parent. I, I can't even begin to imagine what that must be like. It's incredibly brave to put down those boundaries. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm always very keen to tell people that it's okay.
1: Yeah, it's okay to do that. It's okay yeah. to put yourself first. Yeah, um, and, and I think um, if you think of the phrase "tough love," mm. okay, it's tough being on the receiving end of that, but it's so much tougher to give it. Oh yeah, yeah. And I it's, think it's a, it's the purest act of love that you can do.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't come without consequence. You know, unfortunately, no. my family did not understand what I was what I was doing and why I was doing it, and I'm still yeah. held responsible yeah uh, for what happened to my dad I know that's not the case and no. I'm at peace with that decision now yeah. but I still you know I, I, I it really pains me when I hear other people going through this and, and, and yeah. they feel that they can't walk away out of loyalty yeah. or mm. you know because they feel that if anything happened they would be responsible mm no one is no one has control or power over this disease nice. you know um, nice. and it's that surrender and it's again yep. it's really funny how this mirrors what we have to do in recovery isn't it yeah you know surrender acceptance yeah. um you know and um yeah so you know i hope that you know that has helped um anyone out there sort of listening about you know coming out of treatment, going back into a, yeah. a perhaps slightly dysfunctional um, uh, uh, dynamic. I, 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 unfortunately we don't have time to go deep, deep into the roles. I mean, is there anything else you'd like to add while while we hear about think, that?
1: I just think that um, if, if any if you are listening and you want to access um, the link around the drama triangle, do read it. The second part of it's probably not as, as appropriate, but the first part, First page of it is is so spot on Mm. if if any of you are playing the role of persecutor rescue or victim you've got to get off that triangle and the only way you'll get off it is with firm boundaries, so if you think that your home life is boundaryless um have just have a sit down and write down what are your boundaries what can you expect within that relationship what can sorry what can you accept in that relationship what can't you accept and ask your loved one to do the same and have a little family meeting one Sunday afternoon make a nice bowl of pasta and sit down and say this is what I need and this is what I don't need what do you need and, and where can we meet in the middle like that's so healthy it sounds a bit I was going to swear then sorry it sounds a bit naff
0: oh you can swear don't you worry
1: (laughs) I I was going to say it sounds a bit wanky (laughs) but actually just to have an awkward uncomfortable conversation like that yeah um for half an hour can be a game changer like you know you feel uncomfortable waiting smelling a crap when you're wait, when you're queuing for your alcohol at eight in the morning so why not feel uncomfortable having a conversation with your wife about what you can and can't put up with
0: I, you know what I think that's a brilliant idea I might do that with my partner
1: you know Everyone and, uh, even
0: if we do sound a bit wanky I don't yeah. mind <laughs> uh, no but honestly joking aside I mean I'm, I'm sort of browsing through it now and I will make it available to everybody I think this is such an amazing resource I think it breaks things down in such an accessible and easily understood way and, and I wonder you know again you know feedback please you know what what one of these roles do you feel that you fall into you know what dynamics are happening in your family i'd be really really interested to hear uh, from you so i think we'll definitely be coming back to this uh, i think i think that you know sometimes when um, our lovely alumni come out of treatment and go back into re- you know real life in inverted yeah. commas you know that is a huge transition and i'm always yeah. looking for ways for, that the alumni team can help you know make that easier for people to, yeah. to navigate yeah. right yeah, um, so no thank you so much tracy it's absolutely can amazing. i just add one
1: little- Thing. Yeah, go ahead. I use um, um the, the my knowledge of the drama triangle as a relapse prevention tool. Okay. So I know what my favourite role is. Mine's persecutor. Okay. And when I notice the feelings that connect me with being persecutory, I know I've, I've got a potential to pick up on those. Yep. So I can then trace it back and realise I'm being a persecutor. And yes. realize my boundaries have been too rigid or too squishy.
0: Yes, that's really interesting. I don't even have to read the small print to know that I'm a victim. Yeah. So if I start falling into victim mode, yeah. you know, I I I already know that something's not quite right. Or if yeah. I if I have the, you know, we all know this. I don't even have to explain this, but you know, when you start having imaginary arguments with people in your head. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that yeah. you know that that victim mentality yeah. um it, it, it it's that's really excellent and uh, I, I think that um, hopefully a lot of people listening will be able to look at that and, and you know, certainly associate themselves with at least one. Yeah. Is it is yeah. it true that we can jump from one to other? Yes. or Do we tend to have yes. one fixed? We normally
1: end up playing all three.
0: Ah, uh, OK. So if I feel
1: victimised, mm-hmm. I'll then have a PHA, I call it, a pretend head argument. Yes. And then get myself into persecutor mode rather than feel victimised. Then okay. feel guilty for calling people a bastard. And then... Um, and then go into rescuer mode to soothe it all and make it all better.
0: <laughs> all full stage, just do all three, why not? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Typical addict, can't have one, gotta have all three. Oh, brilliant. Well, oh, thanks very much, Tracy. That will be, uh, like I say, available for everyone to take a good look through. There's even uh, a little um, script here as well. Yeah. So if you really wanted to, you could, you know, have a little play. Looks really good. Excellent. Okay. Um, shall we talk about neurodiversity? Yeah. yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um,
0: so, first of all, what is neurodiversity?
1: Well, I find it really hard to explain neurodiversity. Maybe it's because I am neurodivergent.
0: <laughs> oh, hello, me too. Uh, <laughs> nice to meet you. Yeah.
1: It's, Neurodiver- it's a big word, isn't it? It, it covers is. a lot, but in, but in it, a nutshell. It, it, it's the concept that when it comes to the human brain and the nervous system, people don't all end up the same. Um, and so that would encompass the pro- encompass the different processing skills of someone with autism, um, the different processing skills and the speed of processing skills of someone with ADHD or ADD, which is the ADHD without the hyperactive element to it, Um, and it's not an illness, it's not a disability, it's a difference in the way our brains and our nervous systems respond to stimuli. So um, you'll often find that um, people that are neurodivergent are highly anxious because just a certain, you know, sounds, colors, lights, vibe in a room, Mm-hmm. impact them a lot more um a lot stronger than they would someone who we call neurotypical right who is considered normal and I'm saying that in inverted commas big
0: inverted commas yes, yes. but uh, but yes. for the senses that uh, for sorry for the purposes of this there is what is considered to be normal it's it's, yes. it's a parameter yes isn't it or yes. uh, yeah Right, okay, I'll dig a hole for myself here if I keep going on that one, but yeah, normally is a thing in this sense of the word, yeah.
1: So the reason why I'm so fascinated about neurodivergence um, or ADHD and autism is because, um, well, I've had a bit of a journey with it myself Mm -hmm. Um, and it has run alongside my journey of addiction treatment um and um also being a mother of a daughter with late fairly late teen diagnosis of autism and oh. early 20s diagnosis of ADHD um when she was diagnosed and I started reading up on it it was like duh like <laughs> how, how did I not realize that
0: light bulb moment yeah yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and what a relief maybe I wasn't such a crap mother after all um <laughs> and then the more I the more I looked into it and looked at why I hadn't picked up on it before um, and um, spoke a lot, went on forums and spoke um, to lots of other parents of, of young youngsters with, that are neurodivergent, I started to realise that the reason why I hadn't picked up on stuff, because it wasn't so unusual to me, because I'm actually neurodivergent. Right. But that was just grumbling away in the background, kind of me not connecting with it, a, a lot of denial. Mm-hmm. And I remember my daughter even saying to me, Mum, you're more autistic than me. Um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, and um, what happened was I um, went for some, I, 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 I'm on and off with my therapy. I don't have it religiously. Um, every week of every month of every year sure. when i need it i'll pick up and i thought i'd try a new therapist um and and was just drawn to her because she looked like someone i used to know um, <laughs> on the council why not you know yeah good um, and um she, unbeknownst to me her day job because she, she obviously does private practice in the evenings like i do, her, her day job is um, working with teenagers that are neurodivergent. Right. So it's quite helpful for me to talk about my worries about my daughter and things like that. Um, but we were often discussing um, my emotional regulation, how I can regulate my emotion perfectly like a, a fully functioning adult at work Mm-hmm. where there's firm boundaries and rules and regulations and I know where I stand but outside of work functioning in an adult relationship and running mm-hmm. home I don't function very well right um and eventually she diagnosed me with being autistic oh, wow. um, which is about a year ago and wow. um it, it was such a shock but not like, right. in ways, it was just waiting for me to click, really. I just needed someone to spell it out to yeah. me. Yeah. Um, and since then, um, she's put me on the waiting list to be assessed for ADHD, too. Um, and um, I think it's pretty obvious. Um, mm-hmm. now, <laughs> I, now I know more about it. Um, and through through that, what I um, started to do was read, read a lot about the link between addiction and particularly ADHD, right. or undiagnosed ADHD um, more so, um, and came across a fantastic man called Gabo Mate. Oh, I love Gabo I know, uh, I want him yeah. to be my
0: dad. Isn't he wonderful? He's Guys, if you do Guys, if you don't know who this person is, get on YouTube, Gabo yeah. Mate, G-A-B-O-R, M A T E, I think. Yes. yes? yes. Uh, oh, he's fabulous. He's done a he lot, is. a lot of work on on on, um, on addiction. Actually, yeah. some of some of his theories are wonderful. Yes. Anyway, I digress. We
1: can no, go um, on no, about no, that on no.
0: another podcast. Honestly, but please tell me more.
1: He's fabulous. <laughs> he's fabulous. He does loads of, um, blog um, podcast with Russell Brand. Oh, great. Uh, yeah. And, and he he's a he's a physician <laughs> as well as an author. Um and and he um very late in life. Um, was diagnosed with ADHD mm-hmm. um, uh, after writing an article about a woman who had late, um, been diagnosed late and realised that it described him as well. He was like, ding, um, <laughs> that's he, me. Yeah, and yeah. he hasn't scientifically proven this, but he does bandy around this figure. Don't quote me on it. This is Gabba, Gabba Mate, <laughs> And he says that he reckons that 80% of addicts have undiagnosed adhd oh that's a big old number it is um, personally i don't think 80 percent of the clients that are in the building at the moment have undiagnosed adhd but i wouldn't they'd be quite a lot
0: i was just gonna say even if yeah. it's not eight zero specifically yeah. we are still looking at a, a potential yeah. you know link there um, yes. and again you know Just just to be clear, we're not suggesting that, you know, we we can't say whether you do or you don't, but I think it's a really interesting talking point. I really do. And again, professionally, it's it's I think it's really helpful um, for us to learn about these things. And I think personally as well, because there might be someone listening to this. We'll go more into it in a minute, but yeah. there might be someone listening to this much like Gabor did when he wrote the book and realised yeah. that, you know, and you, you know, when you, yeah. you know, when you start to realise, well, actually, this, yeah. this is applying to me. I've had a similar yeah. experience, you know, I'm I'm coming up to a year sober um, and I have, I, I said to you, you didn't know when we were talking before, yeah. before yeah. the show you know, I've experienced some really big issues with my um, uh, processing of my environment, hypersensitivity, yes. irritability with noises. I can't tolerate environment that I used to. And um, again, I'm not gonna self-diagnose myself, but i um, pretty sure there's something going on there, you know, yeah. and, 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 I, and I, I can, you know, why, why don't you tell me, before, I, I won't waffle on about it, but why, why don't you tell me a little bit about what, what is it then that, that potentially causes that, that causation?
1: Gabba Mate believes that um, it's a result of um, a stressful early life okay Um, so that can be stress in the womb yeah Um, it can be you know because you know we they they do now know that the um an unborn child will know how the mother is feeling.
0: Oh yeah, a St- release um, of stress hormones, isn't it? Yeah, things like yeah. that, but, and also, yeah, it's like a, uh, I've heard theories about the the traumatic birth and and those very very early bonding moments. Yeah. It, it, certain 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 um, yeah, sort of uh, hormones are released, and if yeah. they're not or too much, then that can cause an issue definitely, about definitely. yeah
1: yeah um, an anxious an anxious um, home. Mm -hmm. um i mean and that is not to blame parents no you know i don't blame my parents um i mean and obviously there's a difference between autism and adhd autism is um uh more the processing and adhd is more um do you know what? I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to try to explain. I'm not, I'm not
0: to explain. <laughs> I think, I think what we might do, because this is a big topic. okay? It is. So we're not even going to pretend no. to cover everything in a no. sort of 20 half an hour minute, you know, no. half an hour segment. However, we will touch on it yeah. um and um there will be some more information again yes. available i'll break it yeah. down we'll, we'll yeah. provide you with some helpful bullet points and also yes. um there, there's there's a test that you can do as well that i've actually got a link to which i'm sure yeah. tracy will tell us more about um but so yeah
1: please do Carry so on. so i think what's been really wonderful i and i i, I stress i'm not a dad diagnoser and i'm not a specialist but just with what I have experienced myself, I often just have this radar. So I'll be having a one, my first one-to-one with a client, and just getting to know them a little bit and get, hoping that they'll click with me so they can start trusting me. Mm. And I just, sometimes it just screams in my head. <gasps> and, I'll, and I will often ask, have you got a diagnosis of ADHD? right. And sometimes I'll get a yes. <laughs> um, and uh, are you taking your meds? No, right. Of course. Not, um, right. <laughs> and, um, um, and sometimes I'll get no, what is that? Or sometimes I'll get no, but I've always wondered. Yeah. Um, and um, what I tend to do is, is give um, clients an ADHD self-report checklist Um, just to have a look at yeah and if if they tick quite highly then I might say to them once you've completed treatment you may want to consider asking for an assessment I'm not saying you will be assessed with it because I am not the specialist um and uh, we've had clients that have been in treatment for 90 days where they've been able to organize their assessment via zoom um, Through um, certain organisations that organise that there is about an 18 month waiting list in most areas on the NHS
0: Yes, because I think Um, there's been a huge increase in people self-referring isn't there, there there really does I think maybe some people are thinking oh it's just the buzzword right now but actually I think it's really important that people feel empowered to actually come forward and you know start getting these diagnoses because if you are suffering with you know either the processing side of things you know or any other elements of, of neurodivergence it's it's it can really impact your life and, and I think it's a shame the waiting times are so long but I think it's just worth like you say like having someone like yourself who was there to actually just say well actually you might want to get this looked at no yeah. they, they might have spent years thinking that and had no yeah. one to say yeah. it's okay actually yeah. you might want to look into this a bit further yeah.
1: Definitely and I just think as well that okay so it's an 18 month waiting list but you've gone this long without being diagnosed. Yeah exactly. So you might as well just get on the waiting list but also um, not everyone that's diagnosed with ADHD is prescribed medication you know medication isn't a silver bullet it's a small part of being able to um, regulate thoughts and feelings um, and stay awake long enough or not be awake quite so much, depending (laughs) on on your version. And no two people with ADHD are the same. Um, um, So what it does do is it often sends people on a journey to research ADHD. And once we're self-aware, it's it's like everything becomes more clear. And when self-compassion is so important, in recovery so important once you think well actually that's not me being an absolute asshole, or maybe <laughs> i'm not lazy or maybe i'm not useless because i'm late for everything maybe i'm not chaotic because i i'm stupid yeah um maybe i'm not a pain in the ass because i'm a bad person mm-hmm. you know all of that kind of stuff it's like well actually this is a reason and i know as an addict we will then go well now I've got to be let off the hook and <laughs> them, like that's the addict brain now right well you know and it's just having that balance of going okay
0: do you know what I'm glad okay. I'm glad you said that <laughs> I, I really am like it's 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 not you know I always go back to I I, I uh one of my favorite podcasts there's, there's a guy on there he suffers with um mental health issues and he always says guys you know mental health isn't your fault but it is your responsibility.
1: Exactly.
0: And, you know, again, you know, personal experience, you know, I'm, I've become much more self-aware around my own neurodivergence and how that impacts on my relationship with my partner, for instance. So an example for me is I will be like, much like you at work. Brilliant. I can function. I'm confident. I'm likable. You know, I just, I vibe at work, Mm -hmm. right? Because of those boundaries and I know where I am. I know what I'm doing. I don't have to it's all there in front of me. Yes. I just have to do what I'm told to do. Yes. Easy. I cannot, tra- I, it takes me nearly two ha- hours to travel home from work. Yeah. Even with that time to decompress and get into home mode, I cannot speak to my partner as soon as I get through the door. Yeah. I need half an yeah. hour time on yeah. my own to decompress and then I have to go to her. Yes. She cannot come to me because I feel really trapped in. Yeah. and then I get really snappy yeah that is it's just a really really small example but instead yes. of me being snappy and being an arsehole yeah. I've had a conversation with her around it and said I am sorry but this is how I feel and yeah. we've made uh we've we've just changed our routine up yeah right so yes. she knows that she can't running it can't come running in with a cuddle yeah and as, as lovely as that is you know everyone would love yeah. to be greeted like that to me that's a nightmare I'm like no can't I need to get through the door I need to like breathe get a shower and then I'm ready I will come to you I'm like a little animal like I need to come to you first yeah so it is about having conversations but how can Mm -hmm. you have those conversations if you don't have any insight into your own behaviors exactly right you've got to start somewhere yeah and I I think just having this conversation is a wonderful way for people at home to be like oh
1: yeah, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe yeah. that
0: is something I could look into. Yes, the
1: you know, like, the internet. Oh, you know? oh,
0: yes. Get knowledge on YouTube. is power,
1: yeah.
0: It is, knowledge is power, you know. I mean, sometimes, you know, it didn't help me with my addiction, but I think this is something completely different. I think it is something where knowledge can be empowering, actually. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, and it's not another thing, you know, that needs to be fixed, you know you it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you you can still function in the world but actually just knowing that you're not alone perhaps finding things you know I find a lot of help just by going and researching and finding little self-help tips that other people have used yeah I do this okay it's really annoying I don't necessarily need to go and get immediate help medically but I would like to know how to manage this situation easier yeah this person's man and it's just that community isn't it and talking about it definitely I'm waffling on I do no 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 Um, (laughs) but it's just such an interesting topic I think um, and I think it is going to be something that a lot of people um, do have some resonance with
1: and and I think again it it, it can be a relapse prevention tool yeah okay when you start acknowledging all the things that you struggle with and why then maybe you won't
0: use on that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's about putting, like we do in recovery, don't we? We put something between ourselves and the first drink or the first substance. You know, it's a pause. It's a reflection and then a responding rather than reacting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and, I just think yeah. I've,
1: built, I've built a life myself now because I understand myself. So I'm not quite so, so chaotic in my home life because I've put in some systems that work for me to right. make sure I'm not late all the time and to make sure that I don't lose things all the time and, <laughs> um, and things like that. Um, really got this time 15 years ago. I'd have thought that was all incredibly dull. but I've got I've now got you know I've now found a way that that's got some structure yes and, and is supportive to me because if I'm out of control and chaotic, how long am I going to stay well? Right. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, again, you know, the alumni listening to this, they're already, you are already out there in a position where you've already done so much hard work on creating more structure in your lives, creating a program for you to maintain sobriety and, and to move forward in the world. And, and, you know, what a wonderful opportunity to find more things that you can make easier in your life. Definitely. You don't, you don't, yeah. you don't. You don't recover. You you don't go into recovery and then your work is done. No, you don't go. Well, I've done my program. I'm sober. I can just kick back and relax. This is lifelong work and it's exciting and it should be liberating and it it should be empowering. So, you know, use that,
1: you know, if if
0: you're really egging forward and you've got those pink clouds and you're really enjoying this, this newfound sort of clarity of being in recovery. I, I think that investigating things further and learning more and more about yourself. I've learned more about myself in the last ten months than I ever knew about myself
1: Definitely. in the 36 years before. Yeah. It, it's and it's phenomenal. so much fun. It's so fun. And if you think about it, us addicts, we, we love talking about ourselves. We love learning about yeah. ourselves. We're yeah, so we obsessed. Do. Yes. No, it's part me. No, not me, not <laughs> at all. So why not make you your favourite hobby and go and research everything about yourself? Yeah, and find strategies, and if they don't work, find another one. Yeah, like, it's really exciting.
0: I think so. I really do. Probably sound a bit mad, don't we? But I, you I do. think it is. I, I love getting these revelations about myself. Sometimes yes. it's uncomfortable, but that's okay. You know, part. But you know, part of it is being uncomfortable and and mm-hmm. learning to be with that. And it all for me. And you said it earlier. I am. I am militant about it. Self-compassion yeah. has to be at the centre of all of this. Accountability, yes,
1: yeah.
0: but self-compassion, yeah. you know, smother yourself in it, you know, yeah. because you deserve it. And um, I think if we just keep talking about these things and, you know, if if alumni feel that they can have these conversations with, with their family members or, you know, even like you say, I'm going to send, um, going to sh- send this out to everyone as well. It's the, uh, This is the autism spectrum quotient test that I've got here. Is there an ADHD one as well?
1: There is an ADHD one. Yes. Um, I'll... i'll send you the adhd one would love that i think it's, I think, a, it's a checklist
0: oh yeah brilliant yeah, yeah let's do that i think yeah, uh, i think that, that would be you. great yeah we'll, we'll send all of that out and yeah. um, have fun with it you know um, yeah. we'll probably put it on our ucat resources page it can sit there and it can be used by anyone who wants to come and have a look and yeah. uh, maybe some signposting um options there as well i think you may be able to do a self-referral now for these um uh, initial consultations again the waiting list is long but uh, i do believe that um certainly for adhd you don't actually need to go through your gp anymore oh which is quite one of my friends yeah. has just done that so uh, anyway there are there are means and ways should you feel that you need any more support
1: um but- the facebook page put your autism score i i got 47 <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah I did mine I got 34 yeah.
1: right okay
0: um, I, they were like we think you might have a pro- you, might, you might be on the spectrum in fact you're very likely to be on the spectrum I'm like well that's not at all surprising um so th- no thanks so much Tracy I really hope we can come back to this and um really really appreciate your insights thank you no worries a lot of people uh, feel that they have friends and family out there and they could ask for help if they needed it but they still feel lonely even knowing that I get um it. and I guess. It, is there any I mean we don't have to do anything with you on loneliness but if you've got any insights into loneliness in recovery that you might want to share with us or or not so much
1: I mean the, the, the thing that springs to mind is that of course when you haven't got you you haven't got anyone oh and if you're not if you're not connecting with yourself yeah um, with compassion um and with honesty then of course you're going to be lonely yeah Um, and that's why you have to make connecting with yourself with compassion a daily priority
0: yeah and I that, really like that Tracy. Yeah. I really do. I think that um, we're not very good at being kind to ourselves are we really as addicts and I, I think it's for me it's a, you all have permission to treat yourself with that kindness. Yeah. You may not have been shown it in the past yeah. and, but it doesn't mean that you can't you know do that for yourself yeah. and you know loneliness I've probably felt the most lonely in my life in a room full of people. Definitely. Right. So um, I, I do have a, a blog that will be released alongside this looking into loneliness theme of loneliness and recovery. And uh, it also looks at the difference between uh, loneliness and solitude. There is a yes. difference you know um solitude in your own company where you are connected with yourself and you're you're okay in that space with yourself can actually be really nourishing yeah and it can actually be really important in recovery um but like you say if you're not connected you you feel disconnected with yourself you 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 know you feel disconnected then you know that that loneliness can start to creep in and if you're not in the right space to kind of sit with it and and move past it it can become quite debilitating so um and they
1: do say that loneliness is one of the biggest killers, don't
0: they? Yeah, I mean I, I've done a lot of reading um, on, the, on the topic just purely because it's you know something that I wanted to look into for for the blog and and to make sure that I had a, a little bit of background knowledge and it's it's becoming such an enormous issue for certainly the elderly yeah Uh, and and the you know vulnerable adults and i i I would put people in recovery you know potentially in that in that group you know we we are vulnerable to loneliness Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um you know one of the biggest things that happens in early recovery is that we lose a huge part of our social network right yeah um we you know we're, we're not going to be hanging around with the same people we might find that we don't have a lot of you know sober friends to immediately t- to connect with when we come out of treatment or mm. you know if we don't go into treatment when we're you know when we start going in the rooms and and for me i would just encourage anyone in recovery to stay connected with people you know um the people that don't make it in my experience um being you know working with alumni is the people that try to do it on their own
1: definitely
0: you can't get well in a vacuum um and it's I agree there yeah and that that's and sometimes i know i know what it's like you want to be left alone you want everyone just to piss off and leave you alone but that's okay every now and then but really You need to know that you can pick up that phone and speak to someone. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would encourage you all to sort of certainly keep an eye out for anyone that you think might be lonely and reach out to them, too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Anyway, um, Tracy, I really want to thank you for your time with us today. It has been so amazing. The topics we've covered today, I think, have been really, really interesting, and yeah, I think they are... to talk about them. <laughs> it's been... and, and just getting to know you as well, and and allowing um, our listeners to to get to know a little bit more about you, and you know, what 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 happens, you know, with with regard to your approach to treatment, and. Um, you've got such a compassionate uh, approach and that's really noticed so thank you so much tracy for your time and i am more than sure we're going to be having you back
1: Anytime <laughs> <laughs> uh, any time i've absolutely loved um getting to know you a bit after the phone calls and the emails going back <laughs> and forwards and i've i've really loved um talking about this and like i said before i can talk about these subjects till the cows come home um, <laughs> And um, yeah, I've really, really, really enjoyed it. And I hope um, even if one person's got something out of it, that would be wonderful.
0: Yeah, that's all I say. I'm sure it'll be more than one person, Tracy. but thanks again. Thanks again, and we'll have you back soon. Thank you. Thank you so much to Tracy uh, for taking time out of her busy schedule to speak with us. It was so wonderful to uh, chat with her and um, I hope you Got something out of that conversation. Again, as I said, keep an eye out. We'll be sending some additional resources um, that, that we were speaking about in the in the interview. Um, so make use of them if you will. So now we're going to have a little look at, at the lo- the issue of loneliness. Um, we did a poll um, and and sent that out via our Facebook and newsletter, and uh, had a little look at those and came back with some fairly interesting insights and some feedback on that. Loneliness and recovery. Okay, so thanks so much to everyone uh, that took part in our loneliness poll. Uh, We had an excellent response via our Facebook group and April newsletter, that's well worth a read by the way. Uh, The questions posed in the poll were taken from recognised methods of gauging loneliness in the community for public health research, although very simple questions, they can give us a broad overview of the issue of loneliness. And in in this case, in our alumni community, uh, we didn't gain any data on demographics such as age, gender, uh, time in recovery, and various other demographics. So it really is a a snapshot. And we did this to uh, make sure that you maintained your anonymity I can never say that word. Obviously, uh, mental health is a complex issue. We are barely denting the surface here. Uh, It's not an in-depth analysis. Um, You can read more about loneliness. There's so much out there on the internet. I have a a blog uh, looking at loneliness in recovery, uh, which will be linked in the show notes. So please feel free um, to have a nose at that. Um, It's just my take on the issue and my own experience Um, and it includes what I hope are helpful ways for you guys to recognise the issue of loneliness, its impact on your mental health and ways for you to work through it and change your perspective and just, you know, knowledge is power when it comes to these things. So I'm not going to bore you with every statistic um, that that we got from the poll. Um, but let's just take a look at the main points. It was interesting to me that even though most of you who responded recognized that should you need support or desire company, um, there, and, and there are people that you can reach out to, some of you still feel lonely. So even though you know there's a support network out there, you still feel that emotion of loneliness. Let's break it down a little bit. of you said that if you wanted company or to socialise, there are people you can call on, okay? However, around a quarter of you indicated that you often feel you lack company. And this perhaps indicates an inability to reach out and simply ask for what we need. Uh, It's important to remember that we can often feel lonely in a room full of people. I think we've all had that experience. And sometimes I think... You know, we isolate because we are afraid of showing our vulnerability or of admitting we are feeling isolated. Um, I can assure you that reaching out will help you feel better in the long run, even if it feels uncomfortable at the time. The same is true with asking for help or support in time of need or crisis, which is especially important uh, in recovery. 96% of you said you do have people that would be able to help you. But one in five of you, that's 20% of you, always or often feel lonely. And I think, again, this discrepancy indicates that just because we know should a crisis hit, we would in theory have support. It doesn't mean we don't feel lonely or find it difficult to express that need for support. quarter of you admitted that you often feel left out and i think this reflects the fact that perhaps in our past we've experienced things like exclusion or had that feeling of not quite fitting in you know being the black sheep is something i hear a lot about in the rooms we all have different life experiences and traumas but recovery it enables us to break free not only from addiction but also that feeling of being on the outside looking in we get to create a new narrative and take part in life. Now, I'm not saying that we wake up one day and all our insecurities have suddenly gone away and we are cured. But at least we can use the tools we have and the connections we do make in recovery to begin to feel like we can fit fit in again. And I think that is a process. And, and again, my experience only, um, you may have a different uh, take or a different experience of your own um but for me that you know the longer I'm in recovery the the less loneliness is an issue for me because I understand that it is an emotion and I don't have to I don't have to give it more power than it already has and even if it's uncomfortable to reach out and it doesn't feel right and it feels a bit awkward actually a hundred percent of the time I feel better for doing so. I never regret reaching out or going to a meeting or calling another sober friend, reaching out to my partner, whatever it might be. Um, And I, I am quite, even in recovery, I'm quite prone to isolating myself rather than reaching out to my support network. It's a behavior that I developed in my early childhood. Uh, and again, I'm only talking about my experiences because I'm sure they resonate a lot with, with people out there listening to this. You know, um, my, my childhood needs were not met, and it's something that I do still have to work really hard on to recognize those old child state behaviors. The uh, sponsor has always taken me off for not calling her enough, and, you know, I can withdraw from my partner uh, when I'm run down, or, you know, addict brain is online and I'm stuck in my own head. Now, thankfully she allows me my space when it is needed um, because sometimes I do just need a little bit of space and that's okay Um, but I kind of get a gentle poke uh, when it's time for me to come out from my hiding and um, actually spend some time together Um, you know we're all different some of us need a lot of company others are more content being alone But perhaps we can be more aware of when we are starting to feel isolated and reach out to someone when we start to get in our own way. After all, the opposite of addiction is connection. You've been listening to Screaming on the Inside with me, Celeste. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, Everyone take care out there and remember if you need support in your recovery, You can find a load of information and contact points for us at ucat.co.uk You can also call us directly on 0203 949 6585 We're here to offer non-judgmental support Um, should you need to reach out about any element of your recovery Um, have a look in the show notes for today's episode as well Uh, we will have those resources a link to the Facebook group and a link to my blog it's been an absolute pleasure as ever and take care till next time